Hello, hello, everyone. Hope all is well. Uh, Isaac Sirwanga here, class of 2013. Um, thank you for coming again, checking out the, the ABPA podcast. Now, this is episode two, um, and I could not be more uh, excited. This one is a, is a special one for me. Uh, we have the president of the New York Knicks, class of the great class in 1981, uh, Steve Mills is with us today. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Isaac. How are you? I'm good. good to catch up with you. It's good to catch up, man. I I, I told you before, but uh, you know when we kind of started this podcast and we had names and people in mind, uh, when everybody said you know get Steve on, I was so excited. I was like, man, I got to catch up with them because uh, just in terms of being a mentor and the things that you've done and in so many ways that you've given back to the community, I think. Um, there's so many things that people can learn from your story and, and everything. So thank you again for being here. My pleasure. So first and foremost, I, I have to take it back. So, um, you know, we'll get into your uh, bio. I got to read it the right way. Uh, Steve Mills is a 30 plus year veteran of the sports world. Uh, Mills career has included 16 years with the NBA where his talents led to a notable ascent from account executive to senior vice president of basketball and player development. This was followed by 10 years at the Madison Square Garden Company, where Steve had a wide range of responsibilities that included overseeing business and basketball operations for the Knicks and the Liberty, along with business operations for the Rangers and for all other sports-related activities at the Garden. And the bio can go on and on with the career and and the accomplishments, but the one thing that I will throw in is Um, Just an incredibly humble soul and a really great guy to be around, uh, especially for for young professionals and young people like myself. And uh, but the first question that I did have and I wanted to jump into and I think is a staple for for this podcast as we go forward is, you know, what Princeton University has meant to us. Right. And it's such an such an amazing community of 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 high achieving individuals who uh, also have that humility to them and. Can you take me back, uh, Steve, to that moment when you knew or were you accepted, hey, I'm going to Princeton University out of Roseville, New York? Um, yeah, I, I, I remember it well. I was, I was really grew up as, as just thinking of myself as a, as a basketball player. Right. And then I decided that I really thought I needed to have more than just being playing basketball. And I thought if I was good enough to play in the NBA – um, I could go to a highly acclaimed academic institution and still get exposed to that. So I really made my decision between Princeton and Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I remember spending a lot of time with Coach Carrill. And the thing that sort of pushed me over the edge with him and the university was, I guess I was 16 when, when, I, when, he, when he took me down there on a visit. And he took me out into the center of Jadwin Gym. And I looked around and I was like, wow, this gym is really impressive. I knew that teams before had, were really competitive and won a lot of big games and won Ivy League championships. And, and he told me that if I wanted to make the commitment to being the best basketball player and the best student I could be, that this was the place to do it. And that, you know, he took me out to the center court and he said, within this sort of parameters of this court, everything about who you are as a person is going to be revealed mm. and you'll just have two choices you'll you can either 
address, uh, address your weaknesses and deficiencies and try to improve them, or you can accept your weaknesses. But Krill was really honest. And he said, but if you accept your weaknesses, I can tell you, you won't play for me. <laughs> so that kind of honesty, you know, at a really young age, for a guy to hit you with that. But right. it was something that resonated with me because I really believed in myself as a, as a player and as, as a, a little bit less as a student, but definitely as a basketball player. So right. I, was, I, I wanted to step up for that challenge. Man, and we'll jump into it, but obviously Coach Kirill, the opportunity to take us to the opportunity to be coached by arguably one of the best coaches to ever coach the game. Uh, can you tell us about, like, that's, that's unreal when you think about it. How, how has that experience influenced you? Oh, you know, it influenced me in a tremendous way and I think had an impact in everything that's happened to me in my life after, after, through my career. But it was a challenge while I was there because, I mean, I went to a really elite high school um, academically. What high school? But I don't know if I was really, I went to Friends Academy in, in, in Locust Valley in Long Island. Got it. And I don't know that I was really understood how difficult the academic challenges were going to be at Princeton. Mm. Um, but then from a basketball perspective, you know, Kirill forced you to become a team player. I mean, I was a guy who scored a lot of points in high school and thought of myself as a scorer and that kind of stuff. But he forced me to think about the game differently and think about and understand how I could impact winning um, in a different way than just scoring points. So, those kinds of things are really looking within yourself to say, okay, how am I going to get better and how am I going to help the team win? He forced those kinds of things on you. And that's those are the kind of things you carry on to everything you do in life. Mm. Well, you guys, I remember, was it how many championships did you guys win in your time at Princeton? We won, we, we were co-champions two years with Penn God. and my junior and senior year. And, and then we played, so we're listed as champions both years. And then we played in a one game playoff to see who went to the NCAA tournament. God. So, you know, we had a, we, we had a really great career. And I was the last class that had to play freshman. So I only got a chance to play varsity for three years. So to, to win, win the, be, be the champion two out of three years, that was pretty good. My goodness. So just a just a history of winning and winning and winning, and how did that influence you know your broader Princeton experience? Well, it made made me understand um, that you're always representing something bigger than just yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know, representing sort of what the basketball program was and what it meant to be an athlete at Princeton successfully, and what that meant to how you had to compete and do well in the classroom. Um, it, it helped me understand what it meant to be, you know, a minority in a, in a community like that and how there were certain things about how you carried yourself and had to carry yourself that were important in terms of people making judgments about whether athletes really belong there. So right. it, it, it forced you to be very um, reflective and, and try to really present yourself in a way that was positive mm. all the time. Now, Steve, you have a you have a reputation, and both personally and throughout the NBA and uh, through your professional life of being an incredible relationship builder. And I always, it's funny, we had a conversation in the first uh, podcast uh, with a friend of mine, Trevor Wilkins, and he mentioned um, how big relationships were uh, at Princeton, just you know, with your peers, with your teammates, uh, with your professors. Were there any 
you know, through your time at Princeton, were there any that stood out, professors, friends, uh, that kind of influenced you and kind of stayed even beyond your years? Well, you know, I had professors that were really important to me. Marvin Bressler, mm-hmm. who passed away, uh, was, you know, the head of the sociology department and was a big part of the basketball community and was really always there to help me when I struggled academically. <clears throat> and then, then my, the guys I played basketball with, I mean, we, we are still close to this day. I mean, I have a, a group chat with four of the guys I played with and, <laughs> We talk about everything in sports, and I talk except the Knicks because um, if they want that's too serious for me. If they want to have a Knicks chat, they should do that without me. Um, but we still talk about everything. Everything. David Blatt, who you know, he and I recruited to play in the backcourt together, and he's been a a super successful coach in Europe and coached the Cleveland Cavaliers. We we stay we stay in close close touch. So I'm really connected with a lot of the basketball players, but then a lot of people that were were in my class, but for me, be, having played sports at Princeton, you know, it's important for me to connect with younger people too and see mm. their ways that I can help them in sort of taking advantage of what they're doing at Princeton and helping them once they get out. Right. And even speaking on that, it's funny. I remember my first year working back at Princeton and you, you're on the, the several boards, but also the PVC. And one of the things I remember you saying so vividly, it was a, it was a meeting that we were all sitting down and all the board members and a couple of young people were there. And, you know, you said one thing that stood out and you said, you know, we're all in a position right now where uh, we can help. Right. And, and, and we can mentor and we could have these conversations. And it's it's interesting that, you know, whenever I think of you on campus, making those connections with young people and and making sure that they hear a voice and, you know, are supported in that way. Why is that so important to you? I can probably know the answer, but why has that been so important to you, especially with the position that you're in now and just, you know, how busy you are, but you still find time to, to reach back out and, and support the Princeton community and beyond? You know, I think it's because I, I believe I would have been, had some level of success wherever I went to school, either as a basketball player mm-hmm. or as a, executive later on but i know i was given un- unbelievable opportunities as a result of having the opportunity to go to princeton mm. and uh, you know i look back at it and say you know being a basketball player there changed my life and set me up to do things that i could have never imagined being able to do and i want everybody to be able to sort of find their dream and fulfill their dream and find their path to success uh, because because it is it's different. I'll never forget. I was interviewing for my first job at the NBA, and it got down to a meeting with David Stern, and the last interview. And he said to me, "Okay, we're going to offer this this job to you because there are two things that I find really interesting on your resume. One is that you went to work for Chemical Bank, which was a shows that you details are important and." Data is important, so those kinds of things are interesting to me right. in terms of how the kind of people I want around as we sort of build the NBA. But the second is that you are a basketball player who chose to go to a place like Princeton to play basketball mm. because that's not the easiest choice to make. Hmm. So you're not looking for easy ways out. So he, he was he said that to me. So I was you know two and a half years out of out of graduation, and that was the first time it really hit me that, you know what, this Princeton thing is real. Mm-hmm. And it means something in terms of 
how people perceive you. So I want to give people the opportunity to sort of be able to take advantage of that. Man, that's so real. And you you took me to my next question. I, I want to get to the details. First, do you remember uh, what was your, I know you were sociology, I was sociology as well. Uh, do you remember your thesis? Yeah, my, my thesis was um, about racism in sports, believe it or not. I had no idea I was going to wow. work in sports. <laughs> but I did, I, did, I did a thesis on racism in sports, and it focused a lot on different things about how African-Americans were forced into certain positions to play, like it was this theory of position centrality, which I remember like it was yesterday, wow. about how you know, certain, certain positions that a center in, in football that dictates a lot of what happens on the line, that mm. African-Americans didn't play that position, middle linebacker, mm. those kinds of things. So I did a, a, big, a big section on that and a big section on the sort of theory of how um, genetics plays or doesn't play a role in success um, in track and field and things like that. But it was, it was a pretty interesting topic for me, um, given that I had no idea I was going to work in sports. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to try to play in the NBA, but I, I, it was, so it was interesting. And that was, and that's my, that's, that is interesting because what was, was there a moment maybe at Princeton when you knew, I guess it's hard to look back, but being 30 years and having the uh, career that you've had and what you're doing now, did you know, was there any, the, the inkling of being a president of an NBA team? Is that something that you were striving for? Is it? something that just, you know, comes with time, uh, you know, can you take us through your thought process with that? Or is it something where that's crazy? That's a crazy question for me. When I look back on it, I was still think I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had interned at a bank in my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping to play professional basketball. I'll never forget. We played our last game of the year. We played, we played in the NCAA tournament against Brigham Young and lost and a scout from the Pistons saw me in the hotel, and I had a, a good game that day, even though we lost. Um, and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to recommend that we draft you. Mm. And so even at that point, so this is whatever, March or April of my senior year, I'm still thinking about playing basketball. Wow. And, wow. and so it, what really happened was I didn't get drafted, obviously, and I accepted a job at Chemical Bank. And, uh, but, and then they, le- they allowed me to go to South America to play. I was playing in some pro-am leagues in the summer and some scouts saw me and another guy and said, we want to bring you to South America to play to Ecuador. And the guy from Chemical played basketball at Brown. And I told him about the situation. And um, he said that, listen, we'll just defer your training program. And whenever you come back, you can enter the training program. And then I called a professor at Princeton uh, um, who was a, knew about Latin American politics. I can't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, I, you know, if there's, I'm getting ready to go to, to Ecuador and I don't know anything about Ecuador. Is it safe to go? Cause my mom thought I was crazy. <laughs> you know, I had this job imagine, and now right. I'm telling him I'm going to Ecuador to play basketball. Right. And so he said, no, I wouldn't go live there, but it should be safe for, you know, a while. So that's, that I, I went on that path and then went on to work at chemical bank, but I had no aspirations or thoughts of, of working in professional sports at that point in time. So I guess looking back, because I want to pull the nugget from this for first for myself and for, you know, young Princeton alum who are definitely, definitely tuned in right now. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, juniors, seniors, young professionals, the idea versus, you know, having that mapped out plan and knowing where you want to go versus 
you know, sometimes allowing your career to grow and, 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 and kind of develop, I guess, organically? Because it sounds like you had a mixture of both, but you were always, it sounds like you were always following your passion. Uh, that's what I believe you have to do. If, mm-hmm. In order to be successful, you can have a mapped out plan if that's, if you're sort of what you're passionate about fits into that along that path, but it can't be a, about chasing money or chasing the most prestigious thing mm. because at some point then it just becomes about money and it just becomes about a job. So mm. I, I'm a b- big believer that if you can find a path that there's passion that's driving you down the path, that it's going to lead to a much more successful outcome. Mm. Mm, that's powerful. So let's fast forward. So your Princeton experience, obviously basketball was an incredible piece of that. Um, and then let's talk the NBA. Uh, first and foremost, the um, bringing Commissioner Silver uh, and, and Craig Robinson uh, and, and Eddie Glaude back a couple years back for the, the series was an incredible series uh, to bring back to Princeton. What what did that mean to you to, to kind of have that back at, uh, bring that back to the orange bubble? It was, it was really important to me because when we were going through um, the, the Aspire campaign, I was on the Connect part of the initiative that was to get African-American alum back more connected to the university. Mm-hmm. And as we're going through this, I knew that I wanted to make a donation to the university and I wanted to be somewhere in between African-American studies and and sports, because Mm. one of the things I learned from David Stern was that sports is a vehicle that allows us to talk about societal or cultural issues in ways that we don't, uh, we we don't usually talk about them in other forums. Mm. And so I always thought through that series, I thought there was an opportunity to bring back some people that were involved in sports and have someone like Eddie involved in it. And we could, talk about issues that in fact impact African-American life and American cultural life through the lens of what's going on in sports. Mm. So to, for, it, for it to actually happen and come to fruition, it was, it was a lot of fun for me. It was incredible. I just, just an idea from the, you know, on the ground to, for young students, uh, the undergraduates and the amount of conversations that it started right, around difficult topics, I think was, was incredible. Um, but Actually, that, if I remember, you know, what's go, funny about this yeah. is that I remember I was on campus, and I don't know why, but Adam Silver called me and told me that he would definitely speak, come down and speak, and you were the first person I told that <sighs> I called you and said that, that Adam's agreed to speak, so now we need to figure out a way to get the rest of the yes, thing going. Yes, yes, I remember it very vividly, and I was... You know, I was lucky enough to be to, to, to help, you know, to help you kind of um, put those pieces together. man. that, that was transformative for me. So I appreciate it 100 percent. So to the to now, man, uh, what what did, what did the New York Knicks mean to you? I, I, I think about it sometimes. and I'm thinking not only are you around a sport that you've played and you love. And not only are you in a position where you could arguably say, you know, one of the greatest, greatest jobs in the world to be around an incredible sport, an incredible franchise. 
but this is where you're from as well. What are there days? Do you ever pinch yourself? Do you ever pinch yourself and say, wow, I'm president of the New York Knicks? Or is that, is that long gone? No, no, it still happens, happens, happens all the time. <laughs> it, it really means a lot to me because having a, a, a career that I loved at the NBA, like I said, never thought mm-hmm. I could work in sports, didn't know you could work in sports other than play or coach. Right. So to have a 16-year doing a lot of good things at the NBA, the one thing I missed working at the NBA is this, that it's, your experience is not about winning and losing games. Mm-hmm. And as a competitor, that's what sort of is at my core. And so to have an opportunity to go to, you know, for that, a team that's from where I grew up, I couldn't afford to go to Knicks games as a kid. Yeah. So to eventually become the president, president of the Knicks and huh. to be in a situation where I'm charged with trying to create an environment and create a culture that, allows us to bring back a winning environment to the Knicks and also impact, you know, the, the lives of these guys that, that play for us and, right. and, and, and make them into good people and great basketball players. It's, it's one of those things that I, I, I enjoy it every day. Man. So being in the eye of basically the NBA world, the sports world, uh, I guess, can you give us – Maybe maybe a misconception or something that people would think is one way, but it's different about running an institution that large and and kind of the day to day or, or so, you know something inside that that maybe people would think is one way, but it's not in fact that way. I think the biggest uh, challenge or misconception is that is that we we are working. Nonstop, and I know everybody who has a job works a lot, right. and and so. But I but I think the intensity of what we do day in and day out is that you know that for us, you know, we don't we're not that busy during the month of August, but from September into July, we are on it every day. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't we don't we don't work in a world where there's Saturdays or Sundays that they, those things don't exist for us. It's just about are you playing today or are you practicing today? Mm-hmm. Or does the team have a day off so then you're doing some stuff that you can do without the team? So it's those kinds of, you know, that reality of just the grind right. that we're a part of. And then also the fact that everyone, almost, a lot of people you see, this is something that they're really passionate about and they feel like they have an ownership interest in it and they are going to tell you exactly what they think. I, mean, I had the guy who delivers dry cleaning to um, to the apartment building I live in. He didn't like Kevin Knox's draft pick. <laughs> so he was like all excited up until the draft. And then he saw me after the draft and said, man, I don't like that guy. You should have picked somebody else. So you're getting that from everybody, right. every place you go. So that's just, you know, that's part of the, I guess you, you realize how important this is to people, yes. but that's also part of you know, what you have to realize, the sort of existence that you live when you when you take jobs like this. Got it. Got it. Being in the public eyes is another is another level. Um, I want to reverse it back. I jumped over a little bit, but um, being able to have a cup, a couple conversations with you and 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 knowing a little bit about your background, um, I wanted you to tell us about your parents uh, and, and of course uh, your dad as well, who was an absolute legend, um, in his own right. And I'm, I'm sure had an incredible influence on you and where you are today. Yeah, I was really blessed to have a, uh, 
to grow up in a time when, you know, teachers and different people in those kinds of professions were really important in the in the sort of African American community community. And my dad and my uncle, they're from New Jersey, but they, they both came to Long Island to teach and they were the first African American teachers um in Nassau County. Wow. So they, they they taught at Hempstead High School and they were they were coaches. My my dad coached the basketball and started the lacrosse program there and was assistant coach with the football team and my uncle coached the the uh, football team and the baseball team and and the high school that they that they they were at the football stadium is named after my uncle and the basketball stadium is named gymnasium is named after my dad. Mm. Uh, but they were really also big community organizers. I mean they they started a they started a youth center there for for kids in the community. I remember as a nine or ten year old that the first community center they started was in a delicatessen. I remember being in the basement of the deli cleaning stuff out so they could get it ready for the for the kids that were coming coming there wow. so you know being around him was a really special thing but also learned a lot about life and what most a lot of kids are dealing with because as, as big as my dad was he wasn't perfect and he, and so he, he and my mom were divorced so I grew up in a single parent household where my mom was really doing everything for us day to day mm. in terms of getting us to study and getting us to practices. But at the same time, my dad is around and he's this legendary guy right. in our community, a successful basketball coach, his community leader. So it was like a, a, a weird experience, but it was a, it was, I was blessed to act, deal with the realities of what life when things don't always work out the way everybody wants them to work out. But these two people mm. who were both there for me and helped, you know, leading me and my brother, through tough times sometimes, but, but to end up in a good place. Right. Right. And I would imagine that they would be, um, it's funny it, it, just talking to, you know, alumni like yourself, especially Princeton alumni who have gone on to achieve literally, um, the highest of honors, uh, being a part of, and I kind of bring it back full circle, but being a part of, and I'm learning this, being a part of the Princeton community is still, you know, one of the most prized possessions, right? Which is, you know, why we're doing this podcast and, and on behalf of ABPA. Uh, can you talk a little bit to that about the, you know, just, you know, someone like you of your stature and what you've been able to do and still being a part of ABPA and, 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 and building this community and kind of what that means as far as, you know, continuing the legacy of, of everything that we're doing as a community and just kind of keeping the ball going forward. It means it means the world to me because because mm-hmm. I'm just fortunate that being so close to the basketball program and a part of APPA and and coming back for reunions mm-hmm. and being around I get a chance to and 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 I had an opportunity to teach for a semester at Princeton a freshman nice. seminar so for me to get a chance to to touch these kids and 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 even young alums just to touch them and talk to them and understand what their challenges are and what they're trying to do but also it's it's just fascinating uh to see the the way the university has changed and how the experience of african-american students is so different than it was when i was in school so it's it's just you know i I really enjoy it I, i enjoy trying to help people and and hopefully can help them be successful whatever they're trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and before before I forget also, you're not only a Princeton alum, a basketball alum, a, a contributing member, but also a Princeton parent. 
uh, prince and parent of a, of a grad. Now, now, what kind of joy did that bring to you? I believe uh, Danielle's class of 2016? Sixteen, yes, 16. class of twenty sixteen. I, I was I was joking around with some people that that aren't that familiar with Princeton. I was joking around how you know we all go. Our class is really important to us, and you know I was talking about you know Steve Mills, and I love to see the eighty one after my name. But when I see P sixteen after right. it, that's a, that's a different. That takes it to a different level. Man. Um, but you know I I will never forget the day she came running down from her room with her computer open and facing me and the tiger came across the screen, mm. which was, was her notification that she had been accepted. So getting a chance to sort of watch her Princeton experience, I had to, I had to make sure I wasn't infringing on it and being around too much so that she could do her thing at Princeton yeah. and not have her dad always around all the time. But, <laughs> but watching her, you know, how much she enjoyed the experience and what Princeton means to her now is, is is really special that's awesome that's awesome well steve i want to first and foremost i think um that i have the chance to do this right now i just want to say in my own experience uh not just of, of kind of what you've represented but i think the way for me seeing princeton graduates and alum who have gone on to do amazing things and the humility <laughs> the humility that they carry themselves with is is the, the the greatest example and uh for you to take this podcast and, and and chop it up for a little bit and and share your story means the world to me and i think it's going to mean a lot to all of the listeners in the avpa community so i just want to say thank you thank you thank you um you know i'm i'm someone who's watching every step that you that you do and in, in trying to follow suit and i know there's a lot of young professionals who are watching you as well within this community so uh, from me to you, I just want to say thank you. Hey, no, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm proud of you. I remember when you were, were a student, and I keep track of everything that you're doing, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to see your success, success as well. So this is a good thing all, all the way around. Steve, I appreciate you. And final words, I guess, are you, are you going to be uh, able to make it to uh, reunions this year, any, any events, to, to make it back to campus, any games? I will definitely be back for. I try to get to at least one women's game and one men's game. Gotcha. I'll get that back to a couple of uh, PVC board meetings, and I it, it I hardly ever miss reunions, so I try to is. get down there. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Mills, president of the New York Knicks, class of the great class in 1981. This has been the second recording of the AVPA podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Steve, thanks again. Thank you.